You know, one of the things that I appreciate about Facebook is it's brought back a word that we'd almost quit using. At least I didn't hear it very much until Facebook came along, and all of a sudden I started hearing the word befriend. That's a good word, befriend. Think about that for a moment, befriend. It's, a, it's almost as though it's a special kind of action verb within itself, to befriend somebody. It's a good word, and I'm glad it's now part of our culture. You know, up till today, the first two weekends of friends and then the last two weekends of friends, we're going to be talking about your friends, that inner circle that you have. Like I said in week one, if someone, someone has said, if you have five friends who are your true friends when you die, if you can count five friends who are really true to you, you're a very rich person. And many of us have many acquaintances. But the truth of the matter is, and candidly, at the end of the day, we're probably going to have a pretty tight inner circle of people who are true friends. Now, we talked about that week one, week two. Next week, our message is called Nerd. It's dealing with difficult people. And then last weekend, it's called End, because sometimes friendships need to end, or they do end. But today, we're going to step outside of our circle, and we're going to get beyond just that small cadre of people in our lives that we would call close personal friends. And we're just going to talk about people in general, and we're going to use the word that's so common on Facebook today, we're going to use the word befriend. What does it mean to be a friend or to befriend? Today, I want us to work with this definition. You may come up with a better one than I, but here's the one I'd like for us to work with today. To befriend someone is to be a friend to someone who may not be a friend. To be friendly with someone who may not be a friend. The reason why it's important for those of us who are Christ followers, and by the way, the big difference between a Christ follower and a religious person is in religion, we're taught to jump through hoops and keep rules in order to be an adherent to a religion. Christ followers imitate. We imitate Jesus. And so if you're a Christ follower here today, it's important to imitate him in this area because Jesus befriended people. He was a friend to people who weren't necessarily friends to him. I mean, to the extreme. Remember when he died on the cross? The very people who nailed the nails and cried out, crucified him, beat a crown of thorns into his head. Remember that Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Man, crucifixion is the most awful form of death ever contrived by man. And for a person to be crucified and go through all that horrific pain and suffering and still turn around and say, God, would you have mercy upon the people who are nailing the nails into me? That's somebody who knows what it means to befriend, to be a friend, somebody who may not be a friend. Now, I want us to know, for those of us who are Christ followers, I know that many of you are and others of you are exploring or you're close to that, but especially for those of you who are already Christ followers, I want us to know that we don't have an option on this because it could be that we're going to say, okay, I'm going to hear what Mark has to say, and I'm a Christ follower, and I'm going to see if I like this or if I don't like this. Honestly, guys, you don't have any choice because if you're a Christ follower, the Lord gets right into our grill on this one. He said this in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 47, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Whoa, that's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, talking about getting in your chili, I mean, Jesus goes right out, going to be right there for it. If you're only good to your close circle of friends, Jesus said, man, people that are heathen do that. So for those of us who are Christ followers, we realize this is something that we're going to have to deal with if we're going to follow Christ. Now, let's, let's make this practical. What would it look like today if I decided I was going to befriend people? Here's, here's the best thing I can come up with. I think it means that I carry with me a spirit of friendship. If you run into me any place today, if you catch me at a good moment, if you catch me at a bad moment, if I catch you at a good moment or I catch you at a bad moment, 
I carry with me such a spirit of friendship that if you meet me, you may not be my friend, you may not know my name, but if you meet me, you feel like you just met somebody who was your friend. You carry with you that spirit of friendship. You, by the way, the word friend in the Bible is just a word for love. So you carry with you a spirit of love with you everywhere you go. Whether you're dealing with somebody that you work with or you're unhappy with the Starbucks person who just got your recipe wrong, you are carrying with you the spirit of friendship. Now, I was born at night, but not last night. And um, my personality type isn't just type A. I'm type triple A. There are no pastels in my personality, and I don't suffer fools gladly. So I know that there's somebody out there who's just like me, and I know exactly what you're saying, because I know what I would be saying if somebody was giving this talk and I was sitting where you're sitting. Here's what I would say. I would say, I'm just not wired that way. I'm sorry, just go around all the time with a spirit of friendship. I, it's just, I don't have that in me. It's not in my personality. Now, people like me who have my issue and my problem, a little bit too intense, here's what we tend to say because we run into people who do carry that spirit of friendship. I know people like that. I mean, they just walk around with spirit of love. You know what we say? They're faking. They're faking. <laughs> yeah. You know why we say that? Because we don't want to do it. So we don't want to do it. We figure it must not be possible. They're faking. Or, or we say, it's just not, it's, not, <laughs> it's not my personality. Now, if you've been in a traditional church for a long time, you can even go to the extreme where you say, it's not my spiritual gift. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Mark, you do have it in you. If you're a Christ follower, you have it in you. I mean, you have it in you because somebody put it in you. You don't have it in you because it's your personality type. You have it in you because somebody put it in you. And one of the most important scriptures in the Bible is Romans chapter 5, first part of that chapter. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. The old translation says the Holy Spirit of God has shed abroad the love of God, and it's given to us. Hey, wouldn't you agree with me for a moment? Wouldn't you agree with me, wherever you come from, whatever your tradition is, wouldn't you agree with me that the world is filled with God's love? I see that. Everywhere I turn, I see God's love. The universe is filled with God's love. God is, I mean, I know you have to be really old like me to remember this, but how many of you can remember, please don't raise your hands, but how many of you are old enough to remember the Billy Graham Crusades? When, when Billy Graham used to travel the world and preach, and wow, what a powerful preacher. But some of you remember that there was a singer with Billy Graham named George Beverly Shetty. And George Beverly Shea used to sing a song called The Love of God. And I promise you, to this day, as, as many years has passed, I could hear Bev Shea sing The Love of God, and it will tear me up. You know why? Because Bev is singing about the love of God is so big it can't be measured. Now, I agree. I have no problem with that, that the love of God is, is magnificent and is great. There's no way it can be measured. But now here's what the Bible has to say. You ready for this? If you are a Christ follower, not only is God's love filling the world. He has filled our container with his love. And you know what? The thing of it is, we don't, we don't come up with the love with which we love other people. God has put that love in us, and basically what happens is God loves them through us. It's like God is, it's, you know, if somebody deposited currency in your bank account, you could write a check on it or use your debit card on it because they've deposited that currency in your account. God has deposited love into our account. And because of that love, we can give that love to others. God has given it to us. I haven't been good at a lot of things through the years, but through the years, I've been blessed to be able to forgive people who've been very bad to me. And sometimes I've loved people and been good to people who, who were not good to me. And, and people who've been close to me sometimes have asked me about that. How could you treat that person so well when they've treated you so badly? 
How can you still like that person when that person hates your guts? How can you see the best in that person when that person finds every flaw in you? And I say the same thing to everyone who asks me. I can love, I can afford, I can love because I, I can afford to love. See, God has given me so much love, how dare I not love somebody else? I can afford to forgive because I've received so much forgiveness. How dare somebody who's received so much forgiveness as I have not be able to forgive my fellow man or fellow woman who sins against me? And oh, God knows I've received so much mercy. Only God knows how much mercy this man has received. I have received so much mercy from God. How dare I not? I mean, I can afford to give mercy to others because I've received. You starting to get what it means to be friend? To befriend somebody is to be a friend to somebody who may not be a friend, and you do have it in you because God has put it in you. He has put that capacity in your life. Now, I know that there's a balance because you, you, you know where I'm going with this. I'm talking about investing in the lives of other people and people who may be complete strangers, and you know that I'm going to talk about that. And somebody could raise the point and say, wait a minute, isn't there a balance to that? And yes, there is, and I'll talk about it next week. But today... I just want to spend the rest of my brief time talking to you about what it means to befriend other people, to be a friend to people who may not be a friend. Now, let's go to the Bible for a story. This is one of my favorites, and many of you are going to know this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor by your, as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, let's slow down for a moment and unpack this. I want to make sure that we really get what's going on here. The first thing that we see is there's an expert in religious law who stood up to test Jesus. That is a bad idea. You know, God is so sweet, loving, and gracious. I mean, I, th I thought about Mary Alice. I met Mary Alice 40 years ago yesterday, and, and she was in the first service last night. You know, you're in the last service of four, but she was in the first service last night, and she's in Discovery Day. But she was sitting right over there, and I thought about Mary Alice. I hadn't even thought about saying this until I was up here on stage, and I saw Mary Alice over there, and I thought, you know, Mary Alice is the sweetest, most long-suffering person in the world. The fact that she could be married to me all these years, that's proof positive. And you know, I, can, I, don't, I know this is a surprise to you, but I can be annoying. And, and the cool thing about Mary Alice is I know that there are a lot of things that I do that can be annoying, and she just lets it go. She just lets it roll right off. And it, it just doesn't bother. But there are a handful of things that really get under her skin. Not many, but there are a handful of things. And, and being oblivious as a man will be, I didn't recognize those for a while. And I just kept pushing that button. After a while, I learned not to do that because there's certain things that just really get under Mary Alice's skin. Now, I know what they are. You don't need to know what they are. I know that's adequate. <laughs> now, God is long-suffering. But I want you to know there are, and I start to say something that gets under God's skin. God is a spirit. I guess he doesn't have skin. But if he did, there would be some things that would get under God's skin, and this is one of them. And let me explain to you what it means to test God because I want you to make sure that we get a distinction here. It could be that you're here today and you're saying, Mark, I'm a seeker and I want to know God, but there are a lot of questions that I have that I just can't figure out and I want to ask God. Now, here's the thing. 
Anytime you're trying to get close to God and you don't understand something and you bring a question to God and say something, God, I love you, I want to know you, I want to get close to you, but I'm struggling with why there's so much pain in, in, in the world. And I don't understand that. Listen, you can ask God that kind of question all day long. He'll be all over it. He won't have a problem with it. But there are people that ask God a question like this with one hand and they use the other hand to flip him off. And basically it's like, God, my default position is I don't believe in you, but I tell you what, if Jesus just shows up at, at, at Starbucks, then I'm going to say, I guess he really is here. But I really don't believe in you and I don't want to believe in you. And I just, it, I ask questions that put distance between me and God. If there is a God who's all powerful, can he make a rock so big he can't lift? That's a grammatical question. That's not even a question about potency, but it's that kind of thing. Well, if there's a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? Basically, the idea is I really don't want to get close to God. I don't want to believe in God, but I'm going to behave like a seeker. And I want you to know that's one thing for some reason that really gets God upset. And so this guy did this. He stood up to ask Jesus a question, but it wasn't the kind of question that he wanted to get close to God and really understand God. He basically was wanting to embarrass Jesus. Well, he felt okay about doing this, testing God, because he was, the Bible says, an expert, an expert. You ever know an expert? Are you an expert? It could be that you're here today and you're an expert. It could be that you have framed pieces of paper on your wall that say you're an expert. Maybe people tell you you're an expert. Maybe you made a lot of money and piled it up and you're an expert. I mean, and here's the thing about being an expert, guys. With, with you and me, I'm not an expert. I'm not good at anything. You can impress me all day long. If you're an expert, I'll stand there with my mouth open, totally impressed. The problem with being an expert is that sometimes we're so impressive to people that we think that God will be impressed with us. He's not. He's not. And so this guy stood up to test Jesus, thinking that he was an expert. And I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of talking head experts on television. And one of the things that I've discovered about experts a lot of times is that they don't know where they're ignorant. They know where they're smart, but they don't always know where they're ignorant. And so this guy, standing up to test Jesus, he asked Jesus a very dumb question. Now, I know what some people say. There is no such thing as a dumb question. That is because you've never taught. If you had taught, you would know that there are dumb questions. A dumb question is a question that has a dumb presumption in it. Now, this guy, he really was an expert because he managed to ask Jesus a thrice dumb question. It didn't just have one dumb assumption. It had three dumb assumptions in it in one question. He said, what good thing must I do? He's talking about eternal life. Well, anytime we use the expression I do in conjunction with eternal life, we just blew up the question because there's nothing that you and I can do to have eternal life. It's all based on what God does for us. Hey, does, did, you, did somebody ever ask you a question and it just had such a wrong assumption and you thought, I don't know what to do with that question. But this guy didn't just have one problem. He had three problems in the same question. He said, what good thing? Back in those days, you see, uh, there was a school of people who had the idea that you needed to be very holy to have a relationship with God, but everybody had to do this good thing, find out what this good deed is, find the ashes of the red heifer or the, you know, you know find the holy grail or something. And, of course, that was bogus because there's nothing in the Bible about that. But he said, what good thing must I do? And then he said to inherit eternal life. Well, we don't inherit eternal life. It's a gift. Well, his point was to put Jesus on the spot so that he could debate with him. But in one deft maneuver, Jesus turned it on him. Because Jesus said, well, hey, you're the expert. You tell me. Oh, 
he encountered on that. Jesus said, hey, I don't know. I'll defer to you. You're the smart guy here. You tell me what to do. He said, okay, uh, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Um, you got to love God with all your mind, all your soul, and all your being. And love your neighbor as yourself. In effect, he's, he's backed himself into a corner because he said basically this. This is what he's just said. You have to be perfect toward God and perfect toward people. And Jesus said, cool, you go do that, and you'll be fine. You just go be perfect toward God and perfect toward people. I'm all over that. That's great. You go. You do that. There's no way in the world he can lay any claim to having been perfect toward God. So the Bible says he wanted to justify himself. Now he's backed into a corner. No longer is he trying to test Jesus. That didn't work. That blew up on him. So now he's just going to try to justify himself, which is another bad idea. And there's no way that, as I said, he can say that he's loved God with everything. So he decides to go for the silver. And he wants to debate with Jesus about who he needs to love. And he said, okay, who is my neighbor? In effect, what he was asking is, who is worthy of my love? In those days, there were, the prevailing idea was that you loved people who were like you. So he thought, okay, I need to love other Pharisees. I need to love other people who go to my synagogue. I need to love other people of my race. But clearly, I don't have, there are people I don't have to love. I, I don't have to love Roman soldiers. I don't have to love sellout Jews who collect taxes. And of all things, I have every, I'm supposed to hate Samaritans. Everybody knows that you're supposed to hate Samaritans. They were a different race. They had intermarried with other peoples. There was this huge racial prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. So this, this expert who was standing up to talk to Jesus, he's saying, okay, who is my neighbor? Who, do, who am I supposed to love? And of course, there are people I'm not supposed to love. I think that Jesus thought that, oh, this man thought that Jesus would engage him on theory, but instead Jesus gave him real life. And by the way, that's how it comes to us, doesn't it? You ever know somebody who was really a, a a total screw-up, but they love to talk religion. They love to talk theory. But life doesn't come to us in theory. I know I've told you this before, and I apologize for repeating it, but one of my favorite stories is about a couple of women who both went to grad school together. Both were child psychology majors. And they met years later at a college reunion, and one asked the other how she was doing. She said, you know, when we were in school, I had six theories about raising kids. She said, today I have six kids and no theories. <laughs> I love that. So this man is asking Jesus about theory. Who is it I'm supposed to love? Let's get into a discussion about who do you love? Who are you supposed to love? And instead of answering his question with theory, Jesus gives him a story. Jesus replied with a story, verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus asked, which of these three would you say was neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? 
The man replied. Notice he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, you go do that. Well, in our story that Jesus told is a bad thing to happen. I think it was a well-known story because nobody presses Jesus on it. My guess is the story was known. It was a bad thing to happen to somebody. A man, a lone traveler, was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That was a road where bad things happened. It was well-known. I mean, it, this particular road drops 3,300 feet in altitude within 18 miles. It's a steep, narrow, winding road with all kinds of curves and switchbacks in it. I was reading what one historian said yesterday about this road. He was a contemporary historian from this time frame, and he said nobody would travel this road unless he was part of an entourage and had armed guards or was traveling with other travelers. But this man tempted fate, and he wound up in the worst kind of situation. Traveling by himself, this good Jewish man was attacked by robbers. They beat him. They stripped him. They abandoned him and left him there thinking he was dead. Now, that is the story. Now, in Jesus' narrative, along comes a priest. This is maybe more than you want to know, but if you've ever read the Bible and wondered, what's the difference between a prophet and a priest? Here it is, very simply. A prophet represents God to people. A priest represents people to God. Priest's responsibility is to connect people with God. Now, let me ask you a question, because many of us are Christ followers, and we, tempt, we tend to try to interpret things that happen in our lives as what God is trying to say to us. Now, let me ask you this question. Here is a man. His responsibility is to represent people to God. His job is to connect people with God. He is on a road. On the same side of the same road he's on, he looks ahead, and there is a man who is left for dead, stripped, broken, wounded. Wouldn't you think, if a person was a God follower, wouldn't you think, this man is on my road, he's on my side of the road, wouldn't you think that that's an indication from God that we ought to do something about that? But here, this guy who was a religious rock star in his community sees this wounded man, and the Bible said he walked over to the other side of the road and kept right on going. Now along comes a temple assistant. His responsibility is to take care of the sacred articles in the temple. He, too, is a very important religious figure in the community. Wouldn't you think this is a second chance? Here is another religious very religious person walking on the same road, on the same side of the road with the wounded man, wouldn't you think that he would think this is God's way of showing me, I need to do something about this, but instead he walks over to the other side of the road. No, work with me. Work with me, please. What's the psychology of that? Because this is not a story about, I mean, it is a story from first century Palestine, but this is a story about September in 2012. What's the psychology of those two guys walking to the other side of the road? Here, it's real simple. They were saying, this is not my problem. This is not my problem. By walking to the other side, there's no question. They were saying, this is not my problem, out of sight, out of mind. Now, what I find really interesting about Jesus' story and the way he sets it up and gives us all the detail, the priest and the Levite who were representatives of God, and by the way, the man who was lying in the robe was their own nationality. He might have been a member of their synagogue. They were on the same side of the road, and they crossed over the other side. Samaritan, on the other hand, Samaritans were considered dogs. As I said, they were half-breeds. They had intermarried. They were part of a messed-up religious system. And the, the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day thought they had every reason to hate Samaritans. And like I say, they called them dogs. Samaritan was walking on the other side of the road. He could have said, it really isn't my problem. I chose this side of the road. I'm not even 
I'm not part of that synagogue. I'm not even a Jew. And yet Jesus said, notice, he walked over to the other side of the road where the bruised man was, and he took care of him. He befriended him. Why did he do that? I mean, think with me, please. Let's not race through this. Why did the first two guys walk to the other side? It's not my problem. They didn't want to identify. I think, and maybe I'm reading too much into the text, but when I was reading this for this sermon, I marked it with map crayola in my Bible. I couldn't get away from the word despise. The Samaritan knew what it was like to live his whole life with racial prejudice. He knew what it was like to be despised. He knew what it was like to be abused. He knew what it was like to be called names. He knew what it was like to be an outsider. He knew what it was like to hurt. And I think that when he saw that poor man lying in the street, I think he said, I know what that feels like. Maybe that hasn't happened to me physically, but that has happened to me emotionally. And I think when he looked at him, he identified with him. And I love what the old translation says. It says, he came where he was. Now, I know that could be true in a geographical sense, but I think it's true in an emotional sense. He came where he was. See, a lot of us could befriend people if we were willing to go where they are. Well, in Jesus' story, we're going to pick up some things here from what it means to befriend people, and and I'm just going to scroll through them real fast. I think the first thing that he did is something that all of us have a hard time in 21st century America doing, especially in our instant age. He inconvenienced himself. I mean, because in Luke 10, 34, not only did he stop to help him, he put the man on his own donkey. Now, the donkey he intended to ride himself He got off the donkey and put the wounded man on his donkey, and that meant he was slowed down on a very dangerous road. You know, Americans, we'll throw money at something before we'll be inconvenienced for it. I mean, that's just our, that's our, that's our style, and there's nothing wrong, and that's good to give money to something, but here's the thing. A lot of us will throw money. We'll write checks all day long as long as we don't have to be inconvenienced, slowed down. This guy inconvenienced himself. Let's just, let's piggyback on that. He spent time. You know, I never saw this until I was working on this this week. I've taught on this for years, but I never saw this. Took care of him the next day. Why does Jesus say the next day? Because he spent that first day taking care of the guy. He was on a business trip. Man, he had things to do, people to meet, places to go, deals to do. But yet he took a whole day taking care of somebody who wasn't even, who was a stranger to him. And guys, let me tell you the thing that just really does get through to me. When this Samaritan walked over to help this man, he knew full well that if the roles were reversed, this guy would not stop to help him. He inconvenienced himself. He spent time. He spent money. He gave him two silver coins. And then he took responsibility. Isn't it interesting that the priest and the Levite walked to the other side to say, this is not my problem. This guy went to the other extreme. He handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Basically, he was saying, I'm going to take responsibility for him. So what would it mean today to befriend somebody? What would it mean to befriend? It means to be a friend to someone who may not be a friend. It means to care about where they are, to go where they are, to emotionally engage with them. 
to be inconvenienced. If it's called for it to spend time, if it's called for it to spend money, to take responsibility to the place where it's, where it's reasonable. But I got to go to a place here as I close out this message because there is a place in Jesus' story that is turning me inside out. And I'm sorry it's turning me inside out because I'm going to run the risk of it turning you inside out. Let me read it to you. In the exchange that Jesus has with the expert when the story is finished, Jesus asks him, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. That surprises me. Guys, you have to understand, I live in the Bible. I live there seven days a week. I'm like a lawyer. I practice case law. I practice precedent. Everything I've got is in the scriptures. This is a book I live in. This surprises me. I'm shocked. I almost get whiplash when I read the word mercy. That's not what I expect to find. I expect to find the word love. I want to find the one, the one who showed him love. Because, see, that's what I think friends do. And that is what friends do. And love is a good word there. But it's not the words in the Bible. I'm expecting to find the word grace. Because, see, grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. See, that's not the word that's there. It's the word mercy. You know what mercy means? Are you ready for this? Mercy means I don't get what I do deserve. You know why this is turning me inside out? Because with my top AAA personality, time after time, I've come across people who are bruised, broken, and bleeding on the road, and I've walked to the other side, and I've said, you know what? They had it coming. They should have seen. They should have known. People tried to tell them. I tried to tell them. Others tried to tell them. They had, I mean, I don't know what to do. They, they, I, I, it's not my, not my fault, not my responsibility. I tried to tell them. See, that's the thing. Mercy means, yeah, somebody did try to tell them. Mercy said, yeah, they, maybe they do have it coming. But mercy says, ready? I stop. Anyway, who's in your road, on your side of the road, that life came along and stripped them of their dignity? Who's lying in your road who's been beaten by life to the place where they're not pretty to look at anymore? Who's lying on your side of your road with abandonment issues and now they have a hard time trusting people? See, bruised, abandoned, stripped people are not always pretty to look at. And I ask the question today, because some of us don't have to look very far, because that woman who has been stripped of her self-worth, beaten to pieces by life, and has a hard time trusting because of abandonment issues is sitting right next to you today. That 12-year-old 
and you used to walk past their picture when they were three years old, and you look at them and think, whatever happened to my three-year-old kitty? But that 12-year-old is on the wire this morning. And here's the thing, even though we live in the same house, and we take care of each other's food needs and clothing needs and shelter needs. The fact of the matter is, somewhere along the way, we decided that it was just too unpleasant to continue to invest in somebody who's been stripped and beaten and abandoned, and they're just too difficult. And so we figured out how to conveniently, living in the same house, walk to the other side of the road and say, it's not my problem. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't do that. You're called to a higher level. You're called to a higher standard. You are one who says, I do not avoid, I do not walk to the other side of the street. If somebody is in my path on my side of the road who life has bruised and life has beaten and life has abandoned, I am so rich in God's love. I am so rich in God's mercy. I am so rich in God's grace that I can stop and I can afford to invest and I can afford to be inconvenienced and I can afford to take time and I can afford to do what it takes and I will not walk to the other side of the road. To befriend is to be a friend to somebody who may not be a friend, whether that person is the person whose name is on your marriage license or it's the stranger that you meet today. May God bless you and may God bless this word. Let us pray. Our Father and God, I need this message as much of more than anybody here today. And I pray that you will not let us be comfortable until we get it. May your Holy Spirit make it very clear to us that Christ followers be friend. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. See you next week. Luis.